way back to a seat. Now in our service, we give our attention to the reading and the preaching of God's word. We believe that the Bible is God's word written to us that we might know him and know how we are to live in light of him. Ashley will come and read the scriptures for us and then we'll preach from 1 John together. Today's reading is from 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5, to chapter 2, verse 2. It's on page 1021 in the Pew Bibles. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, let's pray together. Our Lord, we give you thanks for this time together in your word. We pray now that the Holy Spirit would come and fill this time so that what we say and what we hear, we might preach and receive your word faithfully. We pray that the Holy Spirit would give power so that these words of mine would be faithful to your word and have great power to bring about faith in our hearts. We pray for each of us that even now you might disarm the defenses we would put up against you and your word and rather make us hungry to receive the word of God and orient our lives according to it. Move us from darkness to light and from lies to truth, from blindness to sight, from death to life this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I have never read uh, the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but from what I understand of the plot, I think it is a perfect description of what being a Christian feels like. Would you agree? Right? If I understand the story, you've got these twin natures that are emanating from the same person, and it's at total opposite ends of the spectrum. You've got total darkness and total light. And in fact, as you read the story, what I'm told is that you almost don't know that it's one person. As you read the story, initially you think that it's these two different characters. And only later in the story do you come to find out that they're both emerging from the same person. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that, right? I, I know what it's like to feel like, how can such good and such evil come from my heart? I'm sometimes surprised by how good I can be and then devastated by how wicked I can be and how can both come from the same person. In the story, it further goes on that Dr. Jekyll, this good-mannered, well-respectable, moral man, 
has these transformations into Mr. Hyde, this wicked, evil, dark character, so often and so frequently that eventually he becomes confused as to who he really is. He's not even sure which is more really him. Is he really Dr. Jekyll or is he more really Mr. Hyde? And so he's confused in the midst of the two to figure out who am I really? And again, I don't know about you, but I can certainly say for myself, I can relate to that as well. I know very much what it's like to have these twin natures and characters and personalities emerge from myself and then not really be sure, who am I? Which of the two is really me? Which one's real and which one's the fake or the fraud? If you call yourself a Christian, you get even more complicated because you know how God, who you profess to believe, calls you to live. And you struggle with the fact that this nature within you is not really who you are anymore, right? If I were to continue the analogy, at least in the good news of the scriptures, what we call the gospel, the reality is, the fact is, God is transforming our nature and put the old man to death. So Mr. Hyde is dead. The reality is, the fact is, that nature is gone and now he is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's good news. But often, it doesn't feel that way. Even if that's reality, it feels much more like I've got Jekyll and Hyde constantly fighting for power in my life, right? It feels like these two are both who I am, right? And sometimes one comes out and sometimes it's the other and you constantly feel like you're switching between the two and you're left wondering, right? When you, when you find yourself doing what you know you shouldn't do but you can't stop, or not doing what you're supposed to do, but you don't start. And when you find yourself conflicted in this way, you can't help but wonder, which is the real me? Or you might ask it this way, am I really a Christian? Am I an authentic Christian, or am I playing games here? Am I a hypocrite? Am I a fraud? Am I a phony that's just going through the motions? Who am I really? Which is the real me? And fortunately for us, that's exactly what the Apostle John wants us to help, to help us discover in the book of 1 John. In the first letter that he writes to this church or churches that were under his care that he's pastoring, this is precisely what he wants them to figure out, what he wants to help them find out, which is, are they authentically Christian? That he, that's what he's aim is. If you were here last week when we introduced the book, we said, here's, here's what's happening. John is writing this letter to a church or to a group of churches under his care. And what's happened is some of the folks from his church have gone out and started to believe lies and false teachings and heresies about Jesus and about Christianity. And they've not only begun to believe those things, they're now spreading those things to the rest of the church. And so John writes this letter to his flock, to his, last week we said, beloved little children. This term he uses over and over again because he loves this church. And he writes to his beloved little children, and what he wants to do is show them authentic Christianity and show them what it looks like to be an authentic Christian and give them that vision so that they might be reassured of what real Christianity is and reassured also that they are really Christian. And what he wants to do is show them authentic Christianity, and as he does that, he's going to simultaneously expose counterfeit Christianity. As he shows you what's real, 
you're going to discover what's fake, and you are put in the place to figure out, am I an authentic Christian? Today, in our passage, 1 John 1, verses 5 to chapter 2, verses 2, the passage Ashley read for us. If you've got a Bible, if you don't have one, there's one underneath your seat. 1 John 1, verses 5 to chapter 2, verses 2. In our passage today, here's what John wants to do. John wants us to show, John wants to show us how authentic Christians deal with sin. Because here's, here's the reality. All of us, every single one of us, have this Jekyll and Hyde thing going. Right? I think he named it Hyde because hiding within us is this Mr. Hyde, every single one of us. And so what he wants to show us today is how do authentic Christians deal with the reality of ongoing sin in their lives. Right? All of us have sin. There's no question about that. The question is, how do we deal with that sin? Let me say that again. Authentic Christians and counterfeits all sin. It's not a question of, is there sin? The question is, how do we deal with that sin? And John is going to show us in this passage three marks that distinguish how authentic Christians deal with their sin. He's going to show us three things about how authentic Christians deal with their sin. Okay? Here's the first one. Authentic Christians fight their sin. Authentic Christians fight their sin. Look at chapter 1 in verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The first thing John's going to tell us about how authentic Christians deal with their sin is they fight their sin. All right, let's look at these verses more closely. It begins with this. If, if you remember back to last week, we said that when John starts talking about real Christianity, he can't help but talk about the real Jesus. If you're going to talk about real, authentic Christianity, you've got to start with Jesus. That's what Christianity is about. And so in verses 1 through 4, he starts telling you about Jesus. And he says, I can tell you about him because I was an eyewitness. I saw him with my eyes. I touched him with my hands. I heard him with my ears. And now in verse 5, he picks right up on that and says, and this is the message that we heard from him and proclaimed to you. Right? So he just finished saying, listen, I've heard him with my ears. And in verse 5, he says, and this is the message that Jesus told us that we proclaim to you. This is what Jesus told us about God. He said, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Here's what Jesus told us about God. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, I want your mind to imagine that for a moment. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. It's an image that's probably better pictured in your mind than explained by my mouth and words. Right? What, what John is saying is God is perfect and pure and brilliant. He's light. Through and through, he's good. There's no darkness in God. There's no shadowy lands of sin. There's no evil crept up somewhere or hidden somewhere. There's no, 
there's no discovering beneath the surface of something sinister or evil in God. God is light through and through and through. He is pure good. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In fact, this is very unlike people, right? When you look at a person from afar, they can seem very impressive. But when you get close to them, you begin to discover what? All their flaws and all their failures. And you see all the cracks and you begin to see all the stuff that's right beneath the surface. And all the shadowy lands within their character. But God is different. John is saying, when you get closer and closer to God, the more and more pure you see him to be. Because he's light and in him is no darkness at all. There's nothing beneath the surface. There's no deceit, no dishonesty, no evil, no sinister, nothing hidden lurking in the shadows of who God is. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now John tells us this, not just so that we might know something about the character of God, he tells us this character of God because of what it will mean for us. Because of the implication it will have on our lives. What he wants to try and get across to us is, if God is light, then if you're walking in darkness, you cannot possibly have fellowship with him because he's light. John's not just telling us something about God. He's trying to tell us something about our lives. And what he's trying to say is, if God is light and you're walking in darkness, you cannot possibly have fellowship with God, for God is light. In fact, that's what he says in verse 6. Look together with me. In 6, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He presents these stark terms of light and darkness so that you get, if this is who God is and you're in darkness, you cannot possibly claim to have fellowship with God. If we claim to have fellowship with God, that's verse 6, and what that means is if this claim is essentially saying, if you claim to be a Christian, that's what claiming to have fellowship with God is. If you claim to be a Christian but are walking in darkness... That term walking is not just steps. That's the way of life, right? That's the way you're living. And that's an important note for us to remember that Christianity is described here not just as a set of doctrine or beliefs that we download into our brain, but rather it's going to show up in the way that you live. Christianity is about the way that you walk. If you claim to have fellowship with God, but you're walking in darkness, you're living in sin, in unchecked, unrepentant, tolerated, ongoing, maintained sin, then John says, if you claim to have fellowship with God, but you are walking in darkness, you're lying. Your lips are lying, and your life is lying. You're a walking contradiction. You cannot possibly have fellowship with God who is light while you are walking in darkness. Right? He, he gives us these terms so that we might see plain as day. Right? If, if I've got cold, that's not going to be able to maintain an ongoing relationship with heat. It's incompatible. Death is not going to be able to maintain an ongoing relationship with life. Light is not going to be able to maintain an ongoing relationship with darkness. You cannot have a relationship with both at the same time. They're incompatible. And John's saying, if you claim to have fellowship with God but you're walking in darkness, you're living in unrepentant, ongoing, tolerated sin, you're lying and do not practice the truth. 
John's saying, your life is betraying the claim of your mouth. Your life is betraying the claim of your mouth. God is light. How are you going to have fellowship with him if you are walking in darkness? Now, on the other hand, it's not then, therefore, that authentic Christians must have no sin in their lives. You'd almost imagine that if walking in darkness means walking in sin, then when John talks about walking in the light, it must mean perfection or being completely without sin. Not at all. Authentic Christians have sin in their lives. They just deal with it differently. Look at verse 7 as he now talks about authentic Christians. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The mark of authentic Christianity is not that we don't have sin. It's how we deal with our sin. Our sin gets cleansed by Jesus. Here's, here's the mark of authentic Christian living. It's that authentic Christians don't live in their sin. They don't walk in their sin. They're not living in sin. They're not tolerating their sin. They don't make peace with their sin. They don't sign a treaty with their sin. They don't welcome their sin. Instead, they fight their sin. They bring their sin to God so that they might have fellowship with God, and they bring their sin even in community with one another that we might have fellowship with one another. Here, if I could summarize what John is saying here, here's what it would be. The question is not, will there be sin? The question is, how do you deal with your sin? Martin Luther, the theologian, once said about temptation, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. Right? That makes sense. And I think that applies for sin. You can't stop there from being sin in your life, but you can stop it building a home in your life. And that's the question is, how do you relate to sin in your life? If I could ask it this way, here's what I'd ask you. Is sin treated in your life like an unwanted intruder or like a welcomed guest? Is sin treated in your life like an unwanted intruder into your life or like a welcome guest into your life? Because when both show up at your house, you treat the two very differently, right? When a welcomed guest comes to your house, you open the door. You pave the way. You make sure that you let them know that you are comfortable and they could be comfortable in your home. You feed them. You nourish them. You prepare a bed for them. And the question is, do you treat sin in your life like a welcomed guest? Right? Because sin is a very picky guest, you should know also. Sin has very specific conditions of how it likes to stay in your life. When sin shows up at the door and it's welcomed into your life, these are the conditions it wants. It wants darkness, because it doesn't like light, verse 7. It wants to be left alone, because it doesn't like fellowship, verse 7. And it wants to be fed deceit, because it doesn't like truth, verses 5 through 7. Right? So sin is this very picky house guest. And when you welcome it into your home, here's the conditions it wants. It wants to be in the dark. Make sure that you keep it isolated, keep it secret, make sure no one knows about it, and it's growing there in the dark. It hates other people, so it makes sure that it's left alone, because the last thing sin wants is anyone breaking in. 
It doesn't want fellowship with one another. That's verse 7 of what authentic Christians want. And it wants a regular, steady diet of lies. It just wants to be fed deceit so it can grow bigger and bigger. And you know what that's like. You know what it's like to believe certain lies so that you can maintain and manage your sin. It's amazing the stuff we'll come up with and believe in order to make sin comfortable in our hearts. And the question is, is sin a welcomed guest in your heart? Or is it treated more like an unwanted intruder? Because how you treat an unwanted intruder is very different. When that thing breaks in, you bust out the shotgun, right? Because you know, I'm either going to kill it or it's going to kill me. And authentic Christians take sin that seriously. If sin reigns in my heart, it's going to kill me. And I'm either going to kill it or it's going to kill me. You bust out the shotgun because either you're going to get it to run away or you're going to kill it before it kills you. And let me tell you how sin gets killed. It's the exact opposite of everything sin wants. Bring it light. Expose it from the darkness. Bring it fellowship. Confess it to people. Tell it to one another. It'll break the back of sin. Feed it truth. Sin wants so badly to be in the dark, left alone, filled with deceit. And so you must be desperate to bring it into the light, confess it to one another, and feed it truth. You kill sin, or sin will kill you. You don't welcome sin. So, so Seven Mile Road, like John says, beloved little children. Beloved little children of God, the ones that God loves. I want you to think about that sin in your life this morning. The one that sort of dominates over the other ones in the horizon of your life. The one that you're managing, the one that you're tolerating, the one that's pestering you. I want you to think about that sin. Let me tell you what that sin wants more than anything. It wants you to leave this morning determined to keep it in the dark, make sure no one knows, and there in the darkness and in secret, fed with deceit, it will continue to be a house guest forever until it kills you. And so what First John is imploring with you and pleading with you this morning is kill that sin. Bring it to the light. And you can picture sin huddled in the dark corner of that house in your, in your heart. And you throw open the door and the light shines in and you can picture sin shrieking at that light. And it will be painful and it will be loud, but flood that room with light, with the light of God, with the light of God's people. Tell it to one another. Confess your sin. Verse 7, that we might have fellowship with one another. Sin hates when you expose it to someone else, to another believer, to another Christian, and feed it truth. And sin will, like, like salt on a snail, begin to shrivel up and die. Authentic Christians fight their sin. They walk in the light as God is in the light. Here's the second mark of authentic Christians. Look at verses 8 through 10. The second mark of authentic Christians is authentic Christians confess their sin. The first is authentic Christians fight their sin. The second mark of authentic Christianity is authentic Christians confess their sin. Look at verses 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, let's say it again. There is sin in all of us, authentic and counterfeits alike. Every now and then, Mr. Hyde is going to show up. The question is, how do we deal with sin when it happens? And John says, listen, when sin shows up in your life, you're going to have one of two responses. You're either going to deny it or you're going to confess it. And, and sin will be present in all of us. What distinguishes authentic Christians is whether they deny it or whether they confess it. So here's what happens. When sin shows up in your life, our natural tendency and disposition is to deny sin. So you think about it. When your conscience begins to haunt you, when the preacher says something that pricks your heart, when someone else shows you something in your life about what you're really like and your sin, what's your immediate reaction? That's not me. You get defensive right away. Don't talk about me like that. Or, or you come up with an excuse. Or you come up with someone else to blame for that sin. Or you just didn't understand. Or you come up with a million different ways. Or you belittle it and say it's not really that bad in light of everything else. I don't know what you've got up your sleeve. I just know we've all got a different thing to pull up. Because what we want to do when sin is shown to us is we want to deny it. We want to do whatever we can to say, that's not me. But listen to what John says. If we say, verse 8, that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Or again in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John's saying, here's, here's what you're doing. When you deny sin, what you're essentially doing is you're lying to yourself. right? You're deceiving yourself. And what's worse is... You're making God a liar as well. You say, where's that? Look again at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. You know, you know what you're doing? When you deny sin in your life, you're not just deceiving yourself, but God through his Holy Spirit is trying to show you something, and you're telling God that's not true. What God is saying about you, you're essentially saying, you're lying, I'm telling the truth. When you deny sin, you make God a liar. And, and here's the reality. One of you two is lying. Either God is lying about you or you're lying about you. And John says, stop denying. Instead, what an authentic Christian ought to do is use their mouth not to say we have no sin, but use their mouth to confess your sin. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What distinguishes authentic Christians is how they respond to sin, and how they respond is we confess our sins. And in this verse, John gives us great reason to confess and great confidence to go to God in confession. Here, listen, he says, if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Hear those two words again. He's faithful. Do you know what that means? That means God promised throughout the whole Bible if you confess your sins, I promise I'll forgive you. And remember, God is light. In him there's no darkness. There's no deceit. There's no times where God has been crossing his fingers and saying, I tricked you. No, God promised I'll forgive you. Then you come to him. He's faithful. You can go to him in confession and say, you have to forgive me because you promised me you would forgive me. And you're faithful. You don't break your word. Whether you go to him for the first time or for the millionth time about the same sin. He will forgive because he's faithful. John's saying God's faithfulness 
should give you great confidence to go to God in confession because he's faithful. He won't break his word. He promises every time you confess, I'll forgive you, and I won't remember it anymore. You have my word. And John says he's faithful. He says also, and he's just. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now, the second word, you have to think about it for a second. Because when I hear justice, I don't think of that as something that should give me confidence. Do you understand what I'm saying? Here's what I'm saying. If I'm guilty and I hear God is just, that makes me want to run the other way as opposed to go to him thinking that he'll forgive. Do you see that? If I'm guilty, if, if you break a law and I say, don't worry, the courts are just, that sends panic through you, not confidence. So why should the news that God is just give me confidence to confess? Because John's going to say he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Here's what you're forgetting. You're forgetting about Jesus. Let me explain. You know that rule, double jeopardy? Double jeopardy is this rule that if you've been tried and convicted for something, they can't get you again for that same thing. Right? So if I break the law and I have to pay a fine and I give $100, they can't send me another notice saying, you owe another 100 No, I've, I've paid it. It's done. You can't try me again for that. Or if worse, my crime is I've got to serve a 10-year sentence. I finished my 10 years. I'm done. They can't lock me up in prison for another 10 years. There's no double jeopardy. You can't put me, condemn me again for something I've already served the time for. Or worse still, if I was executed for a sin, they can't string someone else up and put them to death for the same sin because the, the crime has already been paid for. And here, John is saying, God is just. There's no double jeopardy. Jesus Christ already paid for your sin. And because he's just, he will not make you pay again for something Jesus has already paid for. If I got a second fine, that would be injustice. Justice is to take the penalty that's already been paid. Jesus has paid my debt already. God can't bill me again. Jesus has, through the cross, served my time for me. I won't serve it again. Jesus has been executed for me. He will not kill me again for something for which Jesus has already been executed for. His justice means he has to forgive me because Jesus has paid for my crimes and my sin. John is saying you have great reason for confidence because he's faithful, he keeps his word, and he's just. He won't try you for something Jesus has already been tried for. He won't kill you for something Jesus has already been killed for. And because he's faithful and just, verse 9 says, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your guilt, gone. Your stains, washed. It's done. John says, here's your two options to sin. You can either deny it and deceive yourself, or you can confess it and be forgiven because he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Authentic Christians fight their sin. Authentic Christians confess their sin. Let me tell you one last one, and then we'll be done. The third mark John shows us in this passage of how authentic Christians deal with their sin is that authentic Christians see Jesus in the midst of their sin. 
Authentic Christians see Jesus in the midst of their sin. We'll look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. I I want you to hear this. I want to remind you. John has already said that one of our responses to sin is we're going to deny it. But he wants to protect us from another response to sin, which is to despair. If part of what we do with sin is we deny it, another response that we have to sin is we despair of our sin. It's almost like we're walking in this this narrow road with a ditch on either side. The one ditch is that I see none of my sin and I'm in denial. The other ditch, equally dangerous, is that all I see is my sin and I despair. Have you ever been there? Sometimes sin comes and you want to deny it because you don't want to face it. But sometimes sin comes and all you do is stare at it till it despair fills your soul. And you begin to think, how could God love someone like me? There's no way he would forgive this. And denial and despair are these two ditches. And in between, rather than seeing none of our sin or seeing only our sin, John invites us to see Jesus in the midst of our sin. Look at 2 verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Look again at 2 verse 1. Pastor John starts, and he says, My little children, there he is, his love for this church. I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. Right? So he's saying, church, don't sin. Fight sin. Confess sin. Don't sin. But if anyone does sin, and now he wants to protect you from despair, he says, there's two things about Jesus you have to remember. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. He says, if you're tempted to despair, don't do that either because there's these two things about Jesus you've got to remember. He's an advocate and he's your propitiation. Let me just say two quick things about those two words, and then we'll be done. John says, you have to see Jesus in the midst of your sin. And the first thing you have to see about Jesus is he's your advocate. What does that mean? It means in the midst of your sin, you have one, Jesus the righteous, who is going to defend you. He's your advocate before the Father. Now, when you think of an advocate, when you think of a lawyer, when a lawyer has a client, what's his job? The lawyer's job is to to try and establish the innocence or the righteousness of his client. That's not how Jesus advocates for us. Jesus is not an advocate before the Father trying to present a case for how good and righteous we are. Jesus is the advocate instead who presents to the Father how righteous he is and how much his death merited the sin of our life. So when we sin, it's as if Jesus, our advocate, presents to the Father again the nails and the thorns and the cross. And the Father sees this and counts us forgiven. As our advocate, Jesus presents to the Father again the merit of his death in our place for our sins. Right? It's, it's almost like you have school loans or mortgage payments When that last loan is paid, they send you a letter that says, this is done. The debt is finished. 
Or when that final mortgage payment comes in, you get a deed as a reminder that this debt has been paid. When I get that school loan being done, I'm going to frame it in our living room, right? And whenever I look at it, it's going to be a constant reminder that is done. That debt has been paid. And every time I see it, it's going to be this eternal reminder to me, it's finished. And that's what Jesus is like in the presence of the Father. That in the midst of your sin, Jesus is this eternal reminder. It's finished. It's done. The debt's been paid. The crime's been served. All of it is finished. And the Father can look upon his Son with great pleasure and joy for the good work he did on our behalf. Now, there's this temptation in this analogy to think Perhaps then Jesus has to constantly win God's heart because God is always on the verge of sending lightning rods and Jesus is making a defense and, and John says, no, no, no. The Father is the one who in love sent the Son for us. And you see that come across in the next term he uses in verse 2. He says he is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is this big theological fancy word. It just means this, that God, because he is light and in him there is no darkness at all, hates darkness and has anger towards darkness in our world, in our city, in our lives. And God's righteous anger for that darkness should have been poured out on us. But in love for us, the Father sends his own Son to bear all the wrath of God for our sins. The Son becomes the sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God. It's as if the son soaked up every ounce of anger the father had towards us and became our propitiation, the sacrifice that absorbed the wrath of God so that now all the father has towards us is mercy and grace and love and delight. When you are in the midst of your sin and you wonder if God hates you and is filled with wrath for you, John says, remember Jesus is our propitiation. He has absorbed fully the wrath of God so that for you, the Father only has delight and only has mercy and only has grace. Authentic Christians don't deny their sin or despair of their sin. John says, if you want to be an authentic Christian, see Jesus in the midst of your sin. See him as your advocate and see him as your propitiation. So, beloved, where are you? I want to give you three questions and then I'll finish. Here's the first one. Are you treating sin in your life like a welcomed guest or an unwanted intruder? Are you fighting your sin? Have you made peace with your sin? Have you welcomed it in or are you fighting it? I want to challenge you by the authority of God's word today. Bring your sin to the light. Expose it. It will shriek. It will not come easy. It will pull kicking and screaming. But you determine today to kill sin in your life before it kills you. Flood it with God's light. The light of his truth. The light of fellowship with one another. Confess it to one another. And the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from your sin. Second, are you denying your sin and being deceived? Or are you confessing your sin that you might be forgiven? If we confess our sins, 
he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And third, are you denying your sin or despairing in the midst of your sin or are you seeing Jesus in the midst of your sin? Because he is an advocate and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Authentic Christians fight their sin, confess their sin, and see Jesus in the midst of their sin. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that your word would do a mighty work in the hearts of all those who are gathered here. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit that the word would not hit the floor, but be held up in our ears, penetrating our minds, and buried into our hearts that it might produce good fruit. I pray over these beloved little children of yours, and I thank you that I'm counted one among them. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, expose sin in this place, in, in the places where sin is growing in the darkness, in isolation, fed with deceit. Today, would you bring light and fellowship with one another and truth and kill sin in each of us as individuals at Seven Mile Road? I pray that today you would help us to stop denying sin and deceiving ourselves and making you to be a liar, but today... You would help us to confess our sins that we might remember the faithfulness and justice of God to forgive us and cleanse us of all sin. And I pray that today you would help every heart here, the one that so hates his sin that he denies it and pretends that it's not there, and the one that is so overcome by that sin that he is in despair and lost his joy. Would you show us Jesus in the midst of our sin as our advocate and as our propitiation, and would you restore joy to those who are in despair? Would you come do a greater work than we know to even ask? But please, do not allow us to waste this hour, but pursue us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.